The treatments had gone as much as they could. The money had nearly run out. And the prognosis was in. Three months maximum. And as the husband and the wife were there together, they realized that this would be his last birthday. Not wanting to get... Can I? Hmm. All right. Not wanting to be sad and dismal the whole time, she said, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to make a cake and make this the best birthday you've ever had. And so indeed, she began to bake a cake. But, of course, before you bake the cake, you've got to make the cake. And as she started to put the ingredients together, she realized... She was out of eggs. So she turned to her teenage grandson and said, Grandson, can you, can you go down to the store and buy us some eggs? I want to make Grandpa a cake. And so, yes, they're going to give me, yes. He, he was excited to help. And so his grandma gave him some money and, and he ran down. Now, the eggs were priced in the store for $1.99. So she gave him $2. He went to the store. Of course, he went and he checked them all out to make sure that none were cracked. None were cracked. He was good to go. He went to the cash register, proudly gave his $2, and quickly went out the door. But he went too quickly. And there were the eggs all over the sidewalk. A group gathered around him, kind of wondering what they should do. One dropped down almost to say, yeah, maybe I'll help him clean it up. And others just kind of looked by and said, oh, that's too bad. Poor kid. Tears started woolling up in the corner of his eye. He was letting his grandma down. He knew that money was tight. He didn't want to have to go back and ask for a, some more money. And then a man stepped up. He says, you know, I care. I care two dollars worth. And looking at those around him, he said, how about you? How much do you care? That is faith with works. How much do you care? Each of them said they cared. Each of them purported to care. But care was shown when the wallet came out. Care was shown when the dollars came out. If we look at the book of James, I would say that if we could summarize it in one verse, it would be the 17th verse. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
Turn with me in your Bible to James chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 1. James chapter 2 and verse 1. It says here, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now it's interesting, as he looks, as James describes Jesus, he's describing actually whom? What was the relationship between James and Jesus? Do you remember? They were stepbrothers, weren't they? Or half-brothers, perhaps? Depends on how you want to say it, but he, that was Joseph's son, James. And he said, don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus. Did he know what actuated his brother's faith? Had he seen what actuated his brother's faith? Had he experienced it? Could he have been perhaps one of those who, who looked at his brother in, in younger years and said, oh, what a goody two-shoes? Eh, perhaps. Perhaps he was in that crowd. But it was more than just Jesus Christ. He was more than just his brother. He was his Lord. And he is the Lord of the earth. It's important because sometimes we look at Jesus in such a personal sphere that, that we see him as solely our Lord. We don't realize that his lordship is over every person in this world. talks about here in verse 2 for if one should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man you stand there or sit here on my footstool now the ring thing didn't really get to me but of course in their culture rings meant authority rings meant finances rings meant connection to something powerful and as a fledgling church it seems to me that it would be quite tempting to be attracted by that this is somebody that can now help us become established he can put his finances toward our aims. He can use his influence toward our aims. <clears throat> the idea that I get, this is someone that can help me. And then in contrast, a poor man comes in. What's he going to do for us? He's probably going to be one of those people that takes and takes and takes and takes. This is the wrong place for him. Aren't there better places that could be better adapted to his needs? No. Well, he can sit here. There's a spot. We'll make one. We'll make room for him. Have you not shown, verse 4, partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Book of 1 Samuel. Let's see if I can get us going here. Verse 16, chapter 16 and verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look 
at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Samuel came and he looked at the brothers and as they lined up, he, he, he thought he had in mind. You know, he had, he had been through one rodeo before. He, he knew what Saul looked like and, and so he said, okay, we need someone that's going to replace Saul, a good-looking man, a strong man, a man that takes people in and brings respect upon himself and those that he's leading. <clears throat> but this is what the Lord said. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many of you have had a circumstance in your life where you've looked at somebody and judged them incorrectly? Happened in my life. This was uh, me. You can see the arrow pointing to me. In the summer of 1993, a few years ago now, I was part of one of the first megabook literature evangelism programs in the Northwest. Actually, the first one to ever happen in the Northwest. And it was, I was with a team of about 25 students there. And, and the way that we ran our program in those years was that you would always have the same group of four or five people that you would be working with every day. There wasn't a situation where you were assigned to this fan or this fan or this fan, depending on the day. No, you stayed with that same team, that same leader all year long. And so before we, 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 we saw the list of all the names, but they hadn't assigned us to leaders. And so I saw the leaders. They were all sitting up in front. I started evaluating, which group do I want to be in? And so uh, I had five, and so I... Top choice, second choice, third choice. Top choice is probably Rachel. She was a, a good-looking lady, and uh, she looked fun, and, and she looked like somebody that, oh, we'd have lots of fun. Okay. And if not her, John. He was tall. He was a basketball player. He was fun. Yeah. And then three, well, maybe Carl. He's a little bit older, but he was the director's son. So... Getting good with him, you know? That wouldn't be bad. Fourth, well, Jimmy. Okay, Jimmy. Nah. He kind of dressed funny. He liked to wear his pants up high and a little bit tighter than I thought he should. <laughs> but, you know, you know, he, he'd be all right. And then if all else failed, Don. Don, hmm. Well, Don, she would have been okay. Okay, well, maybe. I mean, she must be okay. She's a leader, but ah, she looks so boring. She looks so boring. And she wears black jeans. And she too wears them high. Don, hmm, I hope not. Well, you would guess. What team did I get placed in? Don's team. And she was the best leader in the program. By far. She had an easygoing attitude and encouraging spirit, and we had a lot of fun. In fact, we had so much fun that I came back the next year and worked in her team again. God looks on the inside, and He knew when He helped those teams be assembled that I would be blessed working in her team. I looked 
at those group of leaders and I said, what can they give me? And God looked and said, what works best for you? Let's go back to the book of James. James chapter 2 and verses 8 through 11. You know, when we look at a family, I'm gonna, before we go there, before we, when we look at a family coming in through the back door of the church here or the front door, we often look at what will be best for this church. And I think some of us who have young children might see a family like this one and say, hmm, they would, they would fit here. We have a, a, a girl that, oh, she's in primary, and a boy that maybe he's in kindergarten. Oh, that, oh, we just, we, it fit. And then, of course, the other guy may not be such a fit here. You sometimes think those thoughts? That, that person just doesn't fit. Well, I think God's Word has something to tell us. It's challenged me in my thinking. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. He's, James is looking back at the teachings of Jesus and saying the law who was there and written on, on Sinai is summarized with love your neighbor and love your Lord. If you really fulfill the royal law, then you do well. But he's questioning isn't he? Are you really following it? But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. There's no picking and choosing when it comes to God's ways, is there? But isn't that our human nature? Aren't some sins more easy for us to overcome than others? And I think that when we get together and we scuff off certain sins and we look down on others, it makes it worse. We tend to, to have that. Well, it's not a big deal. Oh, that's a really big deal. In community, it can be harder to overcome sin sometimes. Isn't that interesting? Community that's built to help us overcome can sometimes be our impediment. And I think this is the situation that James is looking at here. He's looking at a group of people that they're so longing to be relevant. They're so longing to be recognized. They're so longing to be normal, maybe even, that they've violated their own consciences. They've violated their own understandings. They've violated God's Word. You know, if we did a poll, one to ten, which is our favorite law in the Ten Commandments? Which of the Ten Commandments is our favorite? I think we'd, we'd have a variety of responses. 
And I think it would have something to do with how successful we are at following that one, right? Some of us are pretty good at the fourth commandment. We've been trained well. This is what you do and this is what you don't do. But some of us who are good at that fourth commandment aren't so good when it comes to number 10. Because we see what other people have and we wish we had it. We look at what they have going on in their life, who they have in their home, and we wonder. Other of us struggle with five or six. And I'm not going to meddle in which one and identify. That's obviously not something I can do. But I think if we were to be serious, we could find one or two that are harder for us to follow than others. Interwoven, though, through those two laws, the two sides, one side speaks to our love for God, and the other side speaks to our love for men. But interwoven in between is a corollary. The basic premise is, do I trust God enough to lay my life in His hands? Do I trust God enough to have faith that His Ways are better than my ways. Do I trust God in a strong and dependent way enough to allow Him to do His good work in me? That's the bottom line. Continuing on in James chapter 2. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. What is the law? It's a law of what? Liberty. Freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no, no mercy. Mercy, though, triumphs over judgment. I think of the story of the woman caught in adultery. She was caught red-handed in the very act the Bible says but Jesus then stooped down did he ever say that she wasn't guilty did he ever say that they weren't right in their accusation no he stooped down and in mercy he wrote in the sand. In mercy, he called those who had been in judgment to repentance. In mercy for their very lives, he got on his knees. And when he was done, only one remained. When he was done, mercy had triumphed over judgment. When he was done, he said what he says to us, neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. Is there a call? Yes. Is there a call to follow his law? Yes. But it's built with love surrounding it. That is the call that I believe James, the brother of Jesus, would have us to look at today. Let's continue on in the book of James. James chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. 
What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? You know, that's often our reaction. Because we know that there are people out there that take advantage, don't we? We've dealt with those people. We give them $5 and they go and they go and buy a pack of cigarettes. They go and they spend it on some merriment or some non-essential and we say, oh, I won't be burned again. How do we react when we're faced with that person in front of us? Aren't there people that are better served to help them? Shouldn't I just send them down to Samaritan Center? Eddie and those guys, they can take care of them. And there's some truth there. But if God's Spirit is laying it on your heart to help them, don't shrug that off. If He is saying to you, this is where I want them to be helped, don't send them on first to the Samaritan Center. Be willing to help them in the essentials. You notice it says the essentials. Got to pick up my papers. That's essential too. In the essentials, the things which they need. Now, there are creative ways to make sure that they aren't using what you give them for cross purposes. But it says, go and take care of them. Go and help them. Get my notes together here. I apologize. I believe that this is well illustrated in the parable that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. In the story, we had three reactions. Reactions, one, look the other way. Another came and checked it out and said, oh, poor thing. But the third, the third is the one that we are called to be. The one who got down and got himself dirty. His fingernails were dirty. His clothes were tattered with, I can only imagine, blood and dirt and whatever else happened in that cruel exchange. But he stooped down, just like Jesus stooped down to our world. Jesus could have looked at our world and said, Oh, God bless you. Oh, dear things. I'm sorry. Oh, you've made a bad mistake. Oh, I hope you've learned your lesson. But no. In mercy, he went down to the dirt for me. He went down in the dirt for you. And he calls us, get down in the dirt and help those who are in your pathway. Verse 17. Thus, also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works. Faith saying, yes, I believe. I, I am God's children, child. I am God's friend. I believe God is in my heart. 
But there's no evidence of that. Faith that says, yes, I have His righteousness. Yes, I've accepted Him fully. Yes, He is my Lord. But it doesn't change your life. You sing the songs today, but tomorrow, when provided with an opportunity to live it, you turn your head. Faith without works is dead. You know, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. All right, you know, you do it your way, I do it my way. Show me your faith without your works. How are you going to demonstrate your faith? And I will show you my faith by my works. Now, this is not, I don't believe James is saying, hey, look what I can do. Look what I did. It's not coming to church and saying, hey, how many people did you pray with this week? Or how many people did you heal this week? Or how many people did you help this week? No. But it's saying, where is the proof of your faith? Where is the proof of your existence? Even the devils, it says. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble with their belief. They believe fervently. They understand the truth of Scripture. And they understand it so well that they realize what's going to happen to them. And they tremble. They understand prophecy better than we understand prophecy. They understand. But does it change their heart? Does it change the way that they've decided to live their lives? No. But do you want to know, foolish man, that again, faith without works is dead? In the latter part of James chapter 2, presented the story of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah had a promise that was given to them that their descendants would be as the stars are in the sky. But nothing happened. And for year after year after year, they wondered, God, didn't you say you were going to bless us? And they waited. They waited. And they waited. And then they decided to stop waiting. We're going to take things into our own hands. And so we know the story. A servant was brought in, and Adam and excuse me, and Abraham and she had a son together. This will work. This is our way. This is our plan B. Plan B should work. But was it God's plan? Not at all. Were Abraham and Sarah faithful in this arrangement? Did they show faith? Did they show works? Maybe works of another kind. Could it be that works are bad as well as good? They did show works, but this was works that were showing their own merits in. Look what we did, not look what He did through us. 
But then God came down and His mercy visited them again. And this time, another son was born through Sarah, a baby named Isaac. Isaac was his father's joy. I've waited so long. <laughs> we even laughed when we heard you were going to come. Isaac, our laughter. Isaac, our son. And then a message came. Go and sacrifice your son. What? Did I hear that right? No. 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 Bad dream. I'm going to I'm going to go back to sleep. No. No. Go and sacrifice your only son. Okay. Okay. He rouses his son, does, contemplates whether he wants to wake his wife to let her have one f final farewell, but says, no, I need to do this. And if I wake Sarah, she might detain me. I must go. Wakes his son and asks him to go with him. Hey, this was standard procedure. Isaac was used to going out with him. Isaac didn't know anything different. Okay, we're going to go and go onto the mountain. We're going to go and, and have a sacrifice. All right. And as they went, it took them three days. Every night, Abraham didn't sleep. Every night, he was on his knees saying, Lord, isn't there a better way? Lord, what is happening here? Lord, please take this away from me. And the message kept coming. Go and sacrifice your son. Go and sacrifice. And so finally the time came for the two of them to go up to the appointed place. And Isaac asked, uh, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where's the sacrifice? God will provide. God will provide, my son didn't want to tell him yet, hoping that maybe something would happen even yet. But no, no, he laid down his son. Now, of course, Isaac had faith too, for he certainly could have run away from his dad very easily. Not only was his dad very old, but his dad had been up all night for three days. He could have easily gotten out of there. But he too had faith. If this is what God wants, I'll do it. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about this situation. And I'm going to go there now. I think I put it in a different order, but I think that would be good. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're looking... At verse 17, Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God 
was able to raise him up even from the dead. From which we also, he also received him in a figurative sense. He believed that God would do something. God would be faithful. God would provide. That's faith and works. Abraham showed his faithfulness. Now let's go back to James. James chapter 2 and verse 23. Sorry guys, thank you. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness for he was called the friend of God. God provided a lamb. God provided. And you know what? He was justified. Not just in saying, Lord, I believe that you will send me a son. Not certainly in going and trying to do things his own way. But in following God every move that God sent him on. That was where the justification happened. You know, we can say things, we can have a mental assent, but without our willingness to let God work in us, we are only half alive. And half alive is fully dead. Do you see that faith was working together with His works? Hand in hand, faith and works. Almost as if they were two rows in a boat. You try to go in a canoe with one, you're going to go around in circles. You go with the other, you'll go around in circles. But to have two, you can take a straight course. By works, faith was made perfect. It's interesting that sometimes it takes those faith-filled trials to give us the perfection that we're seeking. And I don't want to just say sometimes, I think every time, Every time we're going in our life, not every time, but every person is going to be faced with something. Something that will make them stand out. That will ask them to step forward. That will ask them to look ahead. And I don't know what it is in your life. And maybe you've faced it already and you've already found that perfecting of your faith. But I believe that God lays on every man and woman that he is saving for heaven the opportunity to step out in faith. We'll continue on here. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness sake and he was called the friend of God. You know, Abraham and Isaac weren't the only ones looking on that day. We're told that there were innumerable angels and people from other worlds that were looking upon that scene as well. For Abraham, who had been called to be the leader of God's people, had failed. He had failed in a variety of times and formats. And this was his opportunity to show his faith. And as 
The onlookers looked. It says in 1 Corinthians 4.9, we have, made, we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. And as those people looked, they saw that indeed Abraham had faith. Faith exhibited by his willingness to lay down even the life of his son. Abraham had faith and it was exhibited through what he did. You see, then that a man is justified by works and not by his faith only. Hand in hand, a faith-led work. And who's doing the work? No credit to us. No credit to our strength or gumption. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That is faith and works. Friends, I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you've identified with this story. I don't know where your heart is. Perhaps you've identified with the first part of James 2 where it talked about preferential treatment. Maybe you've acted in a way that's been hurtful to those who you didn't deem worthy. Perhaps God is laying that on your heart and you need to make amends. You need to make a change. You need to make a reformation. Perhaps you identify somewhere in the story of the Good Samaritan or the story of the lady caught in adultery. Maybe you're needing to forgive yourself even. I'm not sure. Or maybe it's an Abraham saga. Maybe you're waiting. You know that God has something. He's promised something, but you're in that waiting stage. God, when will this happen? Maybe you've taken the step of depending on your own works. Maybe like Abraham and Sarah who went to her handmaid, you're saying, well... Plan B. And maybe you need to go and make amends on your knees. Maybe you've received a promise. Maybe something good has happened, but God is calling you to give it up. I don't know where you are. But I know that He who has been faithful through your whole life will be faithful to what He is calling you to do next. For it is He who will work in you as you allow Him to. Revelation 14.4 talks about a group of people that let the Lord do His good work in them. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Do you want to be one of those? Do you want to be one of those who follows in faith through your works? He's calling you. Will you follow? That is the question. 